Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. It is a midweek movie music edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's when Patrick the Idillionaire takes jams from a particular soundtrack. And based on these selections that are played, we're supposed to gather clues and hints that lead us to the featured film for midweek movie music. And it is Do the Right Thing. I had the right movie in mind. I just could not recall the title of the movie. Therefore, I failed y'all today. And also had my black card suspended for the rest of the week. So that's what happens. Do the right thing. I mean, Spike Lee joint. Come on. I mean, he played he played Public Enemy, Fight the Power, which was the hint that it, it at least triggered the memory of the movie for me. But yet, my CTE kicked in and I could not recall the actual name of the movie. Happens at the worst times, actually. So, and therefore, I uh, so I didn't win midweek movie music, but I want to thank my man Patrick because uh, the Do the Right Thing soundtrack is one that deserves uh, some love. And you said it was because it came out how many years ago? Uh, 1989. This week, 1989. This week, 1989. Yeah. Uh, there you I, go. I, I do can't wait for Hart to get back and be able to be like, oh, I would have known it on the first one. He would have probably known. He he would have did better than me. He would have did. He but did better we know than me. when Hard is out, he gets on the first one. Uh, yeah. If he was, he's probably gonna get a text later on. And be like, yeah, I had that one already. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we probably will get that late, the late text. Last time he was out, he that's exactly what happened. He's like, I got on the first try. I was at home and I got it. It's like, oh yeah, there you go. Uh, we also threw out the question for the Specs text line, um, because uh, we were talking off the record that Will of Fortune will have a new host. Ryan Seacrest is going to replace Pat Sajak when he. Uh, uh, decides to hang it up and retire officially. Uh, Vanna White is not too pleased with that. She's upset. Uh, she's upset, first of all, that she has not received a pay raise in, I don't know, forever. Since, I don't say 18 years. She's only been making three mil a year. Only. 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 Well, it, listen, if you're talking about inflation, uh, you know, that was the 2005 prices. You know, today's price is not yesterday's price. So she's like, I should get a raise. But... She does get bonuses, and I believe she gets to keep a lot of the dresses she uses, too. Yeah. But anyway, uh, since it got us on the discussion, since she is now hiring a lawyer, she's lowering it up to uh, bring litigation against Will of Fortune or the parent company because of you know the, her disagreement uh, with the way that she has been treated. I'm sure they're going to move on from Vanna White, too. So the question is, now that we know there's a new host of Will of Fortune, who is the sexy new letter turner? That is the question. For the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. I like uh, a bunch of these, actually. Uh, someone says, for Vanna Wright replacement, you need beauty and brains. I, norm- I nominate Laura Rutledge from ESPN NFL Live. Former beauty queen, 5'11", nose football, and hot. Well done. I agree right. with that. She right. is. That's, that's actually damn good there. And gave me a good breakdown. Someone here says, Selma Hayek turns letters. What about Gwen Stefani? Also, throw out Pamela Anderson. This is something to keep in mind, though, and Patrick brought this up. Why doesn't any of these very smoking hot, beautiful, sexy women, why don't they get consideration for the new letter turner, Patrick? These because, ladies. Because you need someone that's going to be able to do it for 30, 40. Vanny White started this in 1982, so it's been 41 years. 40 years. She's been turning 40 them years. Money. Yeah. So those ladies are already a little bit older, although beautiful and gorgeous. Trust me. Love me some Salma Hayek. Lo- Matter of fact, Salma Hayek was in something I just watched. Oh, she's in a Black Mirror episode, I think it is. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Is that what Vanna it is? White, 66, by the way. So she was in her mid-20s when she started. Okay. There you go. I mean, and, oh, man, can you imagine Vanna White? I, mean, I would like to see a prime Vanna White photo. I bet that's legit. Uh, someone says uh, Gwen Stefani. So, all the way, Gwen Stefani, Sam Hyde, Pamela Anderson, love all of them. A little too old. I like this one. 
Someone says here, and you know what? You got a good point. See, someone says, I'll do it. Uh, hashtag Meghan Markle. <laughs> yeah. She might. She would do it. Honestly, Meghan Markle would do it. Y'all don't think she would do it? You think she's too she's she above that now? I thought they canceled her Netflix deal. She those those two are desperate. They're so desperate. They just they're so thirsty. They're so thirsty. They, just they, trying to go out. This is they act like they wanna they don't want the spotlight, and yet we keep seeing them in the spotlight. And it's it like always. Yeah, why y'all y'all don't want the spotlight? Did go away. It's not yeah. that hard. You'll get enough money to go away. They, I think they got enough to go away, but they don't want to go away, so give it up for them. Uh, someone says Amber Heard. Not bad. Uh someone says Megan Fox. Amber Heard. Grew up here in Austin, did she not? Not mistaken. Uh, someone says Megan Fox. She's also on my, my celebrity hall pass. Before I learned the crazy stuff, but still, I kind of like crazy. I'm not going to lie. It turns me on a little bit more. Uh, someone says Chrissy Teigen. Mm. Kate Upton or Sydney Sweeney? Sydney Sweeney's actually working a ton now. Uh, Kate Upton, maybe, but Sydney Sweeney, she's, she's actually, you know, she's working a lot. And I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff. Uh, three mil per year is crazy, Chan. I totally agree. Uh, someone says. Uh, Vanna White did a Playboy spread, says Master Gardner. Uh, you do you do not need to imagine. Okay. Well, research for the show. I will get all that uh, as soon as I get done with the show. I'll be looking uh, at I will up. tell you, someone who did uh, fill in for Vanna White before recently. Who that? Pat Sajak's daughter. Oh. Maggie Sajak has, oh. has filled in. Texter says she's in her 20s and a hottie. So apparently that works. Maggie Sajak could be the they could have another Sajak on the show. Oh, Sajak for another thirty years over there? You're gonna have seventy years with a Sajak? Well, we know Will of Fortune's not gonna last another forty years because America's not gonna be able to spell words in forty years. <laughs> the rate we're going. And our attention span just won't yeah, yeah for not for not for games like that. No, I, people still like it though. It's really popular. I don't get a chance to watch it. My favorite what's your favorite game show? Can we throw it out there? What's your favorite game show? You know my favorite game show? No BS. Did I, yeah. What's the game show you always wanted to go on and believe that if you went on this game show, you had a chance to win it? Now, for Craig Wade, that's Jeopardy. For me, I had two. I'm a huge Family Feud guy. Okay. Oh, huge Family Feud fan. Love me some Family Feud. I, I will say this. I don't – my family, like on my side of the family, I don't think we'd be great at Family Feud because – uh, basically, you got to try to think like most Americans. That's the whole point of it. You got to think like everyday Americans, most Americans. And most Americans are what? What are they? Uh, White. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> especially who's stopping at a mall. That's what I'm saying. Who's stopping at a mall no, to do these? What if there's I'm like, no, no, it's it, it's not the answer for your culture. Think how white people think. That's usually the Family Feud <laughs> secret. It is though. It, it is. It. Yeah. They're most of the time. You know, they're not they're not in my neighborhood that I grew up in trying to do these surveys. All right, they're doing them with some of our Caucasian brothers and sisters. Yeah. So you gotta think like white people. That's how people go in there and they mess up You're like, nah, you thought you you did that for your culture. No, no. no. Think like a white person. Think like a white That's person. That's basically how, how yeah. I I'm like amazing at family feud. I just think like white people and I'm great. <laughs> I'm amazing. Like I'm really I'm I'm really I'm like a savant. Man, like man, it's mayonnaise. Isn't it, it really is. Like I don't know what it is. And watching a lot of Seinfeld. It was the Patty Duke show. I watched as a kid. Uh, Donna Reed, Andy Griffith. Blame any other show. I watched Friends. I own the Friends DVD set. Oh, Maybe that's you why need, you need to get rid of that. See, but hey, hi. How do I conquer Family Feud? Watching Friends. It's like four black people in the entire series. <laughs> hey, set me up wrong. All right. Oh, my other one is uh, Cash Cab. Ever since I uh, had my, you know, New York Giants experience, Cash Cab hadn't been around that long. But uh, ever since then, I, I love me some Cash Cab. 
Yeah, that's Big a good fan one. of it. Cash yeah. Cap's great uh, show. I love the whole entire kind of method of it, and I'm a big fan of it. So those are the two that I would like to go on. I used to always love Press Your Luck when I was growing up. Oh, that's good. Yeah, the whammies. Yes. Very cool. I used to watch all, I used to watch, uh, they used to have Buzzer, that game, and when I had no money, and uh, so no cable or anything, and you just put on, it was just like 60s and 70s game shows, like 80s <laughs> oh, game shows. Oh, so, yes. They have a game show just, network now. It's they do. Game shows. They do. Yeah, well, there's plays- two, I think, because there's Game Show Network and then there's Buzzer, and they're both things, but one of them's free. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know which one I got, but I, I watch a lot of Family Feud every now and then. There you go. So give me your game shows. Uh, which one about that? Someone said, <laughs> you worried about losing your black your black card, and you're admitting on air you own the Friends DVD box set. Dude, there's no quicker way to lose your black card. This is true. This is very true. That you know what? That's probably why it's gone. I was saying it's suspended already. It, technically, it's suspended, so I can't in this period. I can't lose it again. But if it gets suspended again, you're right. You're not on a probationary period. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be admitting that to people when I just lost my black card today because I <laughs> failed to uh, failed to recall the title of "Do the Right Thing." Yeah, see, I don't know what "Do the Right Thing," but I can tell you all of Rachel's boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is bad. That is bad. That is bad. Oh, shout out to Fancy Boots. She sent me a picture of a young Vanna White. Damn, good for yeah. And it took a while for that to start to age. Vanna looked good for a long time. And damn, that's that's good. That's good. I like that. Thank you, Fancy Boots. Appreciate that. Oh, and I saw the Fancy Boots is on the road, so be safe on that road with your babies. Uh, good safe or shout out there for fancy boots. We appreciate that. Uh, also, my man, Seti Bear said Golden hit me up. Just gonna read this real quick, then we can get into the NIL discussion. Seti Bear hit me up. He said I've waited forty years for Family Feud to contact me to participate in the survey. I don't think I check all the boxes. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to be on that survey. Come on. Oh man, there you go. All right. Anyway. Um, all right, let's get into let some uh, NIL discussion here. Okay, so there was a memo sent by the uh, NCAA to all of its member institutions, and of course, there are now some uh, members of the media that have gotten a hold of this memo. And essentially, the memo is a warning a, any NCAA member institution warning them against prioritizing state laws over NCAA rules. They actually, within the memo, had a Q&A of sorts, kind of a question and answer portion of it, where uh, they address different issues and try to answer the questions about it. Um, when the question number six was, some current and proposed state law laws appear to now prohibit the NCAA from enforcing its rules, what is the NCAA's position on its approach when an institution in one of those states violates NCAA legislation? Uh, and the answer is from the memo. NCAA rules are adopted by member schools. It is not fair to those who follow the rules to not enforce rules against those who choose not to do so. Schools who do not like the application of a particular rule should work through the NCAA governance process to change the rule unless and until the membership changes a particular rule. All schools are part of a voluntary membership or required to comply. So, uh, yeah. So I, I really don't understand because basically the NCAA has no enforcement to these rules right now. They 
they won't enforce their own NIL rules because they're afraid of going to court and they're afraid of litigation. So essentially, they are asking you to respect the rules over the laws. Any lawyer anywhere in the world, um, except for certain situations, will tell you, no, the law trumps your rules. Now, if you live with your mom and dad and you're under supervision of your parents living in their house, parents' rules probably trump any laws. Hey, whatever mom and dad own the house, yep. they're, they're your guardians, all right? That's the way it goes. Military code of justice, that's something different, too, so I'll throw that out there. That, you know, that's something different. Um, but most of the time, laws will trump rules, and it is almost ridiculous. It is asinine and laughable that the NCAA will put this letter out there and warn institutions, hey, hey, just so you know, our rules actually are more important than any laws. That's that's false. Like that is <laughs> that is that is like ridiculously false. Like, like that's not true. And the institutions know it. And essentially, the institutions now are daring the NCAA to do something. The NCAA is putting this out because the laws are about to change. One of them in Texas, uh, House Bill 2804. It's going to go into effect July 1st. Essentially, this bill uh, will do a few things. Uh, Number one, it is going to allow for uh, institutions that are affected affiliated and connected directly to the university, like the Longhorn Foundation, is going to allow them to offer what they already offer pretty much, a point system for boosters and donors who go through the Longhorn Foundation so that they can get priority tickets and parking and you know all these other perks uh, to being a BMD, a booster and a donor. Um, well, now the Texas One Fund Collective also has that incentive to offer to boosters and donors who donate through the Texas One Fund, which is their NIL uh, collective of all the, the different funds connected to UT, NIL collectives that are connected to UT. They pool them into one or uh, combine them all into one, the TexasOneFund.org. Shout out, can, uh, uh, donate whenever you get a chance. So the point is, the NCAA, by the way, this is a direct violation of NCAA rules. This state law, this new state law. Uh, schools cannot provide benefits to boosters or donors like tickets or sweet access in exchange for NIL collective money. Texas new law July 1st will directly violate NCAA rules. Also, Texas new state law has this little nugget in there. And by the way, they're not the only ones. I do believe based on my research that I've done that Texas, this uh, addendum to the law, this was something that Texas uh not stole, but something they borrowed from the Oklahoma legislators who passed a new NIL law in May prohibiting the NCAA from punishing schools for flouting certain NIL rules, meaning they were untouchable. They had immunity um, to a certain extent from some of these NCAA NIL rules. The law gave them immunity over, you know, out, uh, from the rules of the NCAA. And here is the Texas, this is the actual Uh, wording in the law that will take effect July 1st. And an athletic association, athletic conference, or any other group or organization with authority over an intercollegiate athletic program at an institution to which this section applies may not enforce a contract term, a rule, a regulation, a standard, or any other requirement that prohibits the institution from participating in intercollegiate athletics or otherwise penalize the institution or the institution's intercollegiate athletic program for performing, participating in, or allowing 
and activity required or authorized by this section, meaning you can't touch us. You cannot touch our schools within this state for violating NCAA rules if it does not break the NIL law in our state. So this new law will give them at least immunity away uh, from NCAA rules about the NIL. And when uh, Ross, Ross Bjork, the Texas A&M AD, was asked about the, you know, the NCAA and them changing their rules, updating their rules and comparing that or at least contrasting that with state law. He said, quote, the state law is going to govern how we do business in terms of this. The state law will reign and that's how we'll move forward. Um, so uh, I imagine Texas will have a similar stance that the state law and their lawyers will tell them, oh, no, state law will give you uh, that will that will, give, that will give you coverage. Right? That will basically give you coverage against the NCAA trying to make a move against you. So uh, that's uh, that's that to me is uh, there's a reckoning that is uh, in the foreseeable future that will be happening. And then maybe it'll be in the legal system. But remember, the NCAA doesn't want to go to court. That's why they keep doing this. These very kind of passive, aggressive uh, measures that are pretty much toothless. I mean, there's nothing behind them. Like, why don't they just enforce the rules? So when this, this actual law kicks in for Texas July 1st, it'll be interesting to see if the NCAA, since they know that A&M in Texas are violating the, the NCAA rules. Will they act? And what will action be? And what will the action be? Yes. Is it another strongly worded letter? There you go. You guys are being real jerk faces right now. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's, that's a, see, I don't know. That's a great point. What, what do they do? Now, if they don't do something on July 1st, then we know they're just full of it. They're just, they're just waving and hoping nobody, waving to try to hope people don't forget them. Like, hey, NCAA, we're still here. Yeah. I know everybody's forgotten about us, but we're still here. We're still here. And I think at this point, there, there will be an emancipation. Like, there will be a separation between the big-time college football programs and the NCAA at some point. We just don't know exactly how that's going to look and when it's going to happen. There will be a national legislation. Or there will be federal legislation about NIL at some point, and that will help. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, deal, remedy some of these issues whenever Uncle Sam gets around to it. But that still could be another two, three years. That could be three, five years. Uncle Sam's busy. Federal government's got a lot going on, and NIL is not at the top of that list. Yeah. No, and state government, no problem. No, yeah. State Clear government. the path. They're changing We're- the laws, like, like what, periodically. They're changing them every year. Yeah, like the, the NIL <laughs> came out of the back. Let's do it. Let's do it. I got, no, I got time in my hand. Let's do it. Yep. And by the way, all the... The uh, the rules that are the, the different state to state rules, they're all essentially crafted to be advantageous to the different schools in that state and to give them an advantage. Um, and that's really kind of what it's all about. In Missouri, there's there's like a, a law in Missouri that passed. And I know they were talking about this for the, the Texas law, but I don't think the Texas law has this particular uh, statute in it. Uh, but there is a the Missouri law that allowed. Uh, high school athletes to collect NIL checks upon signing with an in-state college. So the sooner they sign with the in-state college, they could do it, I'm assuming as a junior or whatever. I mean, whenever they sign that deal, 
um, obviously in, the NL, the NLI, uh, the National Letter of Intent. Whenever they sign, the earliest they can sign it, I'm not sure when that is, the earliest they can sign it, they probably try to sign as early as they can so they can start collecting NIL checks. So every state's got a different law on the books to help out their state schools, whatever the, whoever they are. And every school's got, you know, a, a department, compliance department, that is making sure now that they're not complying with NCAA rules. I imagine the athletic directors are going in and said, screw the NCAA rules about NIL. And they're dropping the, however thick the new law is about NIL in that state, dropping it on this and saying, learn this law, screw the NCAA rules. Because we can't abide by both. They're literally contradicting one another. <laughs> the NCAA is telling you you can't do something and the, uh, and the state law is telling you you can't do it. Now, you can decide to just abide by the NCAA rules, but you will be putting yourself at a huge disadvantage because everybody else in the state will be operating by the new NIL state law. Yeah, and those big money donors probably would prefer for you to do what the state law is, and they will come in with their own lawyers and go, hey, we have our lawyers that will tell you that, yeah, now if I'm going to donate $5 million to this NIL, I'd prefer to get some restitution. Yeah, well... I mean, let's be honest. We know how our, our, you know, how the systems work in this country and our, you know, political system too. Let's be honest. Some of those big time BMDs, big money boosting donors, who donate to Texas, they are also probably donating to campaigns yep. <laughs> of very powerful political figures who are also in those rooms who suggest these statutes to these bills, things of that nature. Yeah. It, it this, the degrees of separation is probably maybe two to three people. If that. <laughs> if, the, if the, it might be the same person, only donating to both in a lot of cases. So yeah, you're exactly right. They want to see these coaches and these institutions operate by the NIL advantageous laws that probably some of them grease the rules to make happen. Oh, I love it. It's politics. It's, it's political now. It's officially political because now they want they want the federal justice. Sorry, the federal uh, government to step in. All right, they, you get coaches and administrators asking for that. And now you have state to state different state politicians who are connected to state universities and universities within that state through, you know, very different you know, ways, whether they went there, whether they are very powerful boosts and donors that also donate to their campaign. Um, and now this thing is getting it's getting political. And I think this is bad for the NCAA because nobody likes them and they're not good at politics. They're not very savvy at it. They failed miserably at trying to reposition themselves in the uh, new modern era of post-amateurism, I guess you could say. I'll end it on this. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh had a blistering uh, concurrence uh, on the opinion that the NCAA, uh, sorry, that the Supreme Court had on the NCAA. Here's what he said about the NCAA. I love this. He said, um, the NCAA is not above the law. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. <laughs> be flatly illegal in almost any. He said everyone agrees that the NCAA can require student athletes to be enrolled students in good standing. But the NCAA's business model of using unpaid student athletes to generate billions of dollars in revenue for the colleges raises serious questions under the antitrust laws. They know that opinion. Lower courts are taking the same stance as Supreme Court, basically, which is an anti-NCAA stance, which is why Nick Saban said they can't go to court anymore. They keep getting beat and they don't have the money to keep getting litigated in court from all these different student athletes all around the country, all these different programs all around the country. They can't do it. They can't keep up. 
So with that said, they're hoping the federal government come in and give them immunity against all of these lawsuits, which it will not because nobody likes the NCAA. They got no fans or supporters on Capitol Hill, not fans, not administrators, not athletic directors, not coaches. Nobody likes them. And this is years of them exploiting uh, the system and exploiting student athletes and trying to rule uh, like a dictatorial entity, even though their amateurism model was slowly dying. A slow death. And they would never acknowledge it. Instead of just evolving it, reinventing it. All right, we'll come back. I want to get to some Texas football on the other side. Uh, Texas uh, Texas getting a lot of love from Pro Football Focus. Uh, really uh, grading the top-rated corners returning in the Big 12. I'll tell you why. That's really good for the Texas defense coming back next season. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful Nine Horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've got it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. I want to get to some Texas football discussion here. Actually, I was reading an article over at uh, CBS Sports and. Uh, they had um, basically the defenses they were picking this year to take a huge leap forward, uh, most improved defenses of 2023, or entering 2023, I should say. And they have Texas on this list, along with uh, Clemson's on this list. They have Notre Dame's offense, Oklahoma defense, different phases of the game for different teams. Uh, here's what they said about Texas. They said um, Texas was not as active in the transfer portal as other teams on this list, but the Longhorns were strategic with their additions, bringing in an athletic uh, uh, player like Jalen Catalan. It gives them an all-conference caliber player, if he can stay healthy. Um, and Holmes, who's Gavin Holmes from Wake Forest, brings some much-needed experience to an otherwise young group of cornerbacks. Otherwise, Texas did not need a ton of help. Uh, they are experienced even after losing to Marvin Overshawn, Moro Ojimo, uh, talks about Byron Murphy and some of the other guys coming back. Um, I, I do think they reference what could be the difference in this being a much improved defense. And by the way, they were a top 30, 35 defense last year, depending on uh, what statistics you value. They, they were you know, still one of the better defenses in college football last year. Um, but they actually could have a huge improvement if the secondary comes together the right way. Um, the field corner is a big part of it. Ryan Watts, the boundary corner, is going to be great, and he was good for you last year. I got a random uh, Ryan Watts stat for you that just kind of shows you how you know productive he was for the Longhorns this past season. Um, he actually, if you go look at it, uh, and him and Jaday Barron, put both of them on there. Um, this comes from Hook'em Headlines. They were the only Big 12 cornerbacks uh, in conference play last season to not allow a single receiving touchdown in pass coverage while posting at least one interception. That was based on their their studies. I'm sure in your head you probably can remember <laughs> him giving up some big plays, but he actually was really good last year, and so was Jaday Barron. Um, they were pretty dependable uh, in, uh, in that secondary. I do think Ryan Watts could work on some of his um, downfield um, kind of hip flexibility and his ability to you know sit down and get out of his breaks downfield. But at the line of scrimmage, um, he's really, really good at the line of scrimmage. And uh, so is Jaday Barron. I mean, Jaday Barron was the only Big 12 defensive back last season to have multiple games with double-digit total tackles and multiple tackles for loss. 
He's also the only Power 5 DB to do so in at least three games. His instincts are unbelievable. That's why you want to keep him at nickel. That's why the field corner is important because if field corner doesn't work out, they're going to move Jaday Barron out there to field corner. And they're going to leave somebody to get exposed at that nickel. Now, some people would say, oh, man, what about uh, Gilbo? He could be great at the nickel. Could be, but I think they would be better off right now. I like Jaday Barron there. He's solid. And nickel is still, in my opinion, one of the toughest positions to play in all of the Big 12, but especially the culture and ecosystem of the Big 12, but really college football today, period, in a spread, pace, and space era. That nickel position, I played that nickel position. There's a reason at Texas, go look at the lineage of the nickel position since I played in 99. Not saying I started anything, just saying that's when the league started to become a spread league and the air raid came into the league, so they weren't running the triple option as much as they were when Nebraska was dominating the league. And since then, everybody who plays nickel at Texas, there's a good chance they get a shot at the NFL or they get a cup of coffee in the league or they just become an NFL player. That position is just because it's all the different skills and tools that it takes to play that position at nickel at high level. And everything happens faster because you're so close to the ball. Everything happens quick. And you got to be able to blitz. And you got to be able to stuff the run. And you better be able to play man. And you got to play zone. And you got to be able to cover tight ends. And you got to be able to cover their best wide receiver when they put them in the slot with a two way go. You got to be able to do everything at nickel. Ain't nothing that really should be uh, true, a true weakness in your skill set playing nickel. And that's why, and Jade Barron, that's why I think he's going to be an all Big 12 player this year. His instincts are phenomenal. He believes everything he sees. I always say that, you know, defenders are just football investigators. You know, you get clues to what the offense is trying to do, uh, whether it be down and distance, uh, whether that be the formation they come out in, whether that be the personnel package they're using. Uh, maybe uh, this down and distance, they have a certain route combination they like based on this formation, based on the, the player that you're going up against. All those different things are clues and hints. And if you can decipher them quickly and correctly enough and accurately enough, they'll give you, they'll narrow down the ways a def- uh, an offense is going to try to exploit you. You'll narrow down the, the, the plays and the routes that they can run against you. And he does that really well, except he believes it. I used to do it really well, but I didn't believe myself. Right? Because I was thinking to myself, I'm always thinking about what could go wrong. True ball hawks, they don't think like that. I'm always like, oh, man, I know it's going to be a double slant here on second and six. They love the double slant out of 11 personnel when they go twins to the boundary. And I've seen this a ton in film study. And like 80% of the time, they run this combination. So why don't I jump it? Because if I'm wrong, and that's where I always went wrong, if I'm wrong, it's a touchdown or I give up a big play. And I played with guys who did not have that kind of conscious, football conscience. They're like, no, I'm not going to be wrong. Why would I be wrong? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would I yeah. be wrong? My film study has confirmed what, I, what my pre-snap diagnosis is. I'm not going to be wrong. I believe in myself. I believe the film study. I'm gone. And that's why Jade Barron, he hits those wide receiver screens like, it, like immediately. It's almost like he jumps it. Sometimes I think he's offside sometimes. But it's just because he truly believes what he saw in his film study and, and it confirms it with, with all the clues and the keys. And I would do it. Then I'd go, nah, I'm just going to stay on that upfield shoulder just to make sure I don't give up the slant and go or that he's not running, you know, a skinny post or something like that. And I get out of position. Uh, but Jaday Barron does not have that kind of fear. And I played Nathan Vash didn't have that kind of fear. I played with guys who didn't have that fear. I had a healthy amount of it. And honestly, it cost me some place. And, I, and, and, I, and if I coach DBs these days, I always tell them to hell with the fear. Every DB will get beat. My one rule, I'm going to bench you. If you break this one rule, if you get beat more than 
you make plays. You give up more plays than you make, we got to think about pulling you. But if you're out there making plays, I don't give a damn if you get beat every now and then because everybody gets beat. You watch Jalen Ramsey and Super Bowl when they played. Watch all the best corners. They all get beat. Sauce Gardner is probably the one this year that ain't gotten beat. He's still a, a great corner. Trevor Dundee gets beat all the time. But he makes so many plays on the ball. That's the guy I want. Making as many plays as he gives up. And that's your day, Barron. So the field corner is the biggest concern. That's Terrence Brooks. If he, you know, if he actually lives up to expectation, this secondary could be really good because you added Jalen Catalan. You got three safeties now, too. Got Keen Crawford, got Jaden Catalan, and got Jaron Thompson. They actually could use one of those guys as a nickel. If Terrence Brooks doesn't work out the field corner, move Jade Barron out to the field corner, put one of those guys in a nickel, or run the three high safety package more. Because I think they ran it like like one game, one a few times. I saw it in the Texas Tech game last year, I remember. But hell, it sucks Achilles heel because teams running so much against him. It's definitely one of the more popular trending defensive uh, coverage sets in the Big Twelve. And now you actually have the depth of three safeties: Jaron Thompson, who's your that's got your veteran back there, your veteran signal caller in the secondary, Jalen Catalan, NFL safety, and Keen Crawford, who you love. You've been raving about him. So that's also another option, but. I'm saying this secondary has a chance to potentially be special. It's all about how that field corner comes together. I'm not sure how it's going to come together. Remember last year, basically, teams couldn't run on Texas. Teams, Texas had one of the best run defenses in the country. So teams couldn't run on Texas, and they just threw the ball on Texas, and they had some success and a lot of different concepts, and we'll go over some of these as we get close to the season. But, you know, I got all the stats about how you how to beat Texas and how to throw the ball against Texas. Texas wants to play a lot of bump and run, man-to-man coverage. That's their goal. Bump and run, man-to-man coverage is why they love Ryan Watts, and they want to play bump and run on the field side too to take away the quick game, quick game, quick game, quick game, force the, the quarterback to hold onto the ball just a little bit longer, and that way maybe they'll get home. Remember last year they were top 10 in quarterback pressures, but among the top 10 teams in quarterback pressures, they had the second fewest sacks because they couldn't convert the pressures into sacks. So they believe how you convert pressures into sacks is put your DBs in press coverage, take away the quick game, force the quarterback to hold on to the ball, hold on to the ball just a little bit longer, defensive ends, rush will get home. Last year, they didn't play a lot of press coverage, so quarterbacks got the ball out really quickly, specifically inside cuts, inside cuts. On slant routes last year, let's give you this little stat, teams completed 66% of the slant routes against Texas. Yeah, and they had a 43% first down or touchdown rate. So 43% of all the slants that were targeted versus Texas secondary last year went for a first down or a touchdown. That's brutal. That's brutal. Think about you take away a, a few of those slants. Hell, man, you win the Oklahoma State game. That's really how they beat you, throwing slants, throwing inside cuts. Um, on glance routes, usually a glance is um, usually a tag on an RPO. It's kind of a skinny post. Teams completed 75% of their glance routes and had a 75% touchdown or first down rate, meaning 75% of the times they threw a glance route, it was a touchdown or first down and completed 75% of the time. So to me, that's one of the big things. It was the, 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 the in cuts, uh, the in breaking cuts were really tough for Texas last year. How do you take those away? Inside leverage by the DBs and bump and run coverage and press coverage. Take away that slant. Take away that skinny post. Take away that glance route. And then the counter for that will be teams will get in bunch formations. 
And if you're in bunch formations, forces the defense to have to read and react rather than uh, reroute. All right? They want to reroute the receivers, um, but you can't because you, you have to read the different route combinations and the progression of the route. So the DBs have to back up, and teams did a ton of that versus Texas last year, and it worked. Bunch versus Texas, Bama completed over 80% of their passes. Tech, 70%. Uh, Iowa State, 86% when they were throwing and targeting bunch formations. So they got to figure that out. And the guys struggled a little bit reading those route combinations out of bunch. So there will be a counter to them playing more bump and run. And then they got to learn how to read route combination a little bit better, play better inside out tango coverage. And their tango coverage is really them playing what they call quarters coverage, match quarters, which is essentially a zone man hybrid that once your receiver declares in your zone, which is usually downfield, then you take him. Then you abandon the zone and you turn it, it deteriorates into a man coverage. Last year, Texas struggled with this concept because teams would uh, essentially run, run what I call late switch routes downfield. Late developing switch routes, which would confuse the, uh, the coverage and re- confuse the coverage responsibilities for the DBs. So there's a couple of things they got to work on, but they have a lot more experience now, so they will be able to work on it, but don't get it, don't get it twisted. How that field corner develops and evolves will determine whether this is a good secondary or not. If not, they'll have a huge hole in the secondary, just a big liability, just a glaring, big, just a giant sign saying, throw this way. Remember the Cowboys last year? Great defense, right? What was one of the big issues? The cornerback opposite Trevon Diggs. Threw at him all day, every day. It's easy. And then you got to compensate for that, and that makes it, you vulnerable somewhere else. So Texas has to figure out that spot. Hopefully, and I think it is Terrence Brooks. I like him. I'm a big fan of him. His dad's an Aggie. Still love him. Dad actually is a DB coach, too. So I shout out, shout out to him. I actually got a chance to kick it with him. Dad knows his stuff. I like Terrence Brooks. Hopefully that is the answer, the remedy. All right, we come back. We'll get a little off the record right here on Ball Don't Lie. One for one. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104 Down the Horn. It is a midweek movie music edition of Ball Don't Lie, uh, and the featured film of midweek movie music is when Patrick, the idillionaire, takes songs from a particular soundtrack, and based on these songs that are played, we're supposed to gather clues and hints that lead us to the featured film of midweek movie music, and it's Do the Right Thing. Man, who, who is this on Do the Right Thing soundtrack? Harry? Uh who, uh, the, the artist's name, Perry? Sounds P-E-R- like Anita Baker. P-E-R-R-I. Huh, interesting. I almost thought it was Anita Baker earlier on. Interesting. Okay, that's that's why that's one of those random... If you'd have played this earlier, I definitely would have been lost. <laughs> yeah, this one was... Yeah, you're like, it's not really giving you any hints. Like, yeah, like, I'm not trying to think of even when the movie do the right thing. I might have heard the song. Uh, okay, uh, we're up against it for uh, Off the Record. So Off the Record here is about the Big 12 Media Day lineup for Texas football uh the men, the guys men i should say that i can say that they're bringing two big 12 media days jay witt's going my man jay witt quinn yours of course x-man of course jalen ford's going and i just got done raving and about jaday baron and how great he is and i expect him to be an all big 12 performer this year and jaday baron's going if i had one uh, critique Maybe JT Sanders should be a part of the group. And I don't know who you'd take off either Jade Barron, but then, you know, defense only gets one guy. That seems a little lopsided. Yeah. I think JT Sanders should be on here. 
I know. He's he seems like he's number six, don't he? He seemed like he should, right? I mean, no, but I mean, like it just like if you were going, you're yes. like we had we we yeah. pulled up all the guys, and you're like, oh, can we take another? Can we? Yeah, bring one right. more. He would definitely be the other one, but I, I yeah, I think I'd prefer JT Sanders in the group, but I can't complain about the guys that are taking. It's a good group, solid leadership. JT Sanders was trying to be a leader too, and my prediction is JT Sanders after this season will lead the Forty Acres as the most prolific, statistically prolific tight end in Texas football history, and he will also be the most prolific tight end in Steve Sarkeesian's play calling history. Mm-hmm. My black Strummer's prediction. So I'm a little disappointed to see him as he on the uh, the group of guys who will be taken to Big Twelve Media Days. That's all right. Hopefully it fuels him a little bit. All right, we come back. We'll get into Cowboys news notes and Nuggets. Pro football focus ranked every secondary in the NFL. Uh, we'll see where they have the Cowboys, where they have the Texans. And also DeAndre Hopkins has more teams that are uh, reportedly interested. And should the Cowboys pursue one Dalvin Cook? All of that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.